Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable businesses and communities. This is Kate Meese, Executive Director of the Local Government Commission and host for our regular monthly series on smart growth and livable communities, where we discuss ways to create equitable communities that provide better housing, transportation, and economic opportunities for all residents. Today as our guest, we are honored to have Greg Rodriguez. Greg is based out of Washington, D.C. He has experience working on Capitol Hill and served as in-house counsel for the San Diego Association of Governments. He uses his experience to provide policy insight, advocacy, and legal assistance to local governments on the safe and effective incorporation of emerging transportation technologies, including on-demand mobility, automated vehicles, and drones. He has authored articles on the topic and has spoken at a wide variety of conferences. Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So I'm really excited to have you on to share your insights on how communities can integrate new mobility technology into cities. It's certainly a a very timely topic and something we're getting a lot of questions about. So I want to start with something that has been in the news quite a bit recently, and we're hearing it as the scooter wars, or I heard one local government recently refer to it as scooter geddon So this has become a challenge. We have these dockless e-scooters emerging rapidly in cities like Santa Monica and San Francisco and Austin. I'm curious to hear from you, how should local governments be rethinking the use of sidewalks and bike lanes, given the emergence of these dockless e-scooters? Well, great. Well, again, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I think that's a, a great way to kick this off. I don't think it's fascinating. I don't think anybody saw the kind of dockless bike share ongoing revolution coming. And, you know, we've been talking about automated vehicles. We've been talking about drones for three or four years now, but all of a sudden dockless bike share comes onto the scene. And it's been a great opportunity to enhance mobility. But I think where you've seen some of the challenges, like you just described, is where there hasn't been good coordination with the local governments or local governments feel like the dockless bike share companies are coming in and and just kind of running roughshod, for lack of better words. And I think to your question, there's this opportunity for communities to be proactive as opposed to reactive. And I think that starts with thinking about what is your mobility plan for the future, thinking about these technologies that are coming online. And I think what some of the private companies are forgetting, and you've mentioned the reference to Santa Monica and Bird, Bird came into Santa Monica and said, well, there's nothing in your zoning code that says we can't do this, so we're going to go ahead and do it. And of course, the city, having to balance its interests with public safety, said, no, we're concerned about how we need to make sure our sidewalks are safe. And they filed a lawsuit. And it was unfortunate that 
now I think the city and bird are negotiating, but that negotiating came through a lawsuit. Think about how much better it would be if a community had a plan in place for how they want technology like dockless bike share to be integrated into community, which then provides a starting point for a company to come in and say, hey, we have this new technology where we, we want to operate. And I think where you've seen it succeed is a place here in Washington, D.C., where I'll confess I've taken a scooter recently a couple times and I love it. And, and it really gives you this other option with regards to transportation. And there, D.C. implemented a pilot project where it controlled the number of dockless bikes and scooters that were coming in in exchange for data around how the technology was being used in a community. So I think those are two different kind of angles of how it can be approached. And, and I think the lesson learned from my perspective is how can cities be a little more proactive to control the technology that's coming into their communities. And the data piece is so critical. I think one of the challenges is that there's certainly concerns about safety and, and liability for all users of sidewalks and bike lanes. But there's also this question as to the potential benefits. So there could be great air quality benefits and congestion relief benefits, but we don't know yet whether these are trips that would have been taken by car or not. So being able to suss out some of those data points could help local governments better prioritize their space to achieve community goals, whether that's congestion relief or greenhouse gas emission reduction. But it really puts local governments a little more in the driver's seat having that information. I think that's right. And as you and I have discussed and when we discussed at the Yosemite Policymakers Conference, which it was great to participate in, that data piece, communities have this opportunity to kind of refine what they're asking. I think one of the things that I've been working on is the word data has been kind of thrown around loosely by communities. How can they better understand what data they need? And I think this is an opportunity for collaboration with the private sector to say, okay, dockless bike share company like Limebike, what type of data do your bikes collect and how might that help us make better transportation planning decisions for our communities? And I think you started us off too talking about sidewalks. Over the last five to 10 years, we've been trying to make our communities more walkable and bikeable. I think this is an opportunity to support that. And the data is going to be a big component with regard to the planning aspect, like you said. So I want to get into the idea of mobility as a service. So electric scooters, electric bikes, bike share, ride hailing companies, all of these different mobility options are part of an ecosystem that we're seeing emerge. And this idea that you could have mobility as a service that really is about not the different mode, but the ability to have options when you need it on demand. And so I'm wondering what you think of the changing role um, from really a public sector offering in terms of public transportation and um, the control local governments have had of the street space as we see that shift towards companies like Uber who are buying up different modes and um, can really be the mobility as a service company and provide a suite of offerings. So in, as we see a, a push towards more of that scenario, what leverage do you see that cities have and, and how can we utilize things like curb space and road space to achieve community priorities that may not be in line with private sector company priorities? 
No, I think that's a great question. And I, this term mobility as a service is just being talked about more and more. You see it discussed at uh, different types of conferences. And most recently, I may, I've been fascinated to see big companies like Ford and GM essentially change their motto to say, we're no longer a car company, we're a mobility company. So I think that's great when we're talking about mobility. But my biggest concern, and when I've asked this to Uber and Lyft, kind of in public settings, and I don't think I've gotten a good answer yet, is you know how is what you're thinking about providing any different than our current public transportation system? So I'm somebody who took public transportation as a young child because I had a hardworking single mom and it was the only way for me to get around. And we did live in a, technically, I think you would call it an underserved community. And so my biggest concern with mobility as a service, especially with private companies moving forward with it is how do you make sure they have the incentive to go to underserved communities? And I think that's kind of the challenge and why there's a bit of competition between public transit agencies and companies like Uber and Lyft coming in and saying, well, we can do it better and more effectively. I think it comes to evening the regulatory playing field. So with public transit agencies, you're governed by requirements from the FTA. This is different from private companies that technically don't have any requirements. They don't have to uh, go and, and meet an underserved community or their rider, their funding isn't determined by exact ridership. So I think there needs to be discussion around it. How do we make sure that this mobility as a service model, if it's implemented by private companies, that we're still making sure that no one gets left behind, for lack of better words? And I, I think this is the opportunity around some of the pilot projects we're seeing come on board, uh, where you see Lyft and Uber and Ford and GM and other companies teaming up with local governments or teaming up with transit agencies to try and tackle that first and last mile issue. I think that's a, a great place to start, but that's going to come down the importance of having good contracting. And just like we were talking about in the previous discussion around data sharing, those contracts are going to be really important to make sure that roles and responsibilities are laid out, that you have a data sharing piece component, and that the collaboration is there to figure out, are we working towards a common goal which is hopefully more efficient movement and enhanced mobility for all our citizens. And on the private side, I don't think there's anything wrong with making profit, but we need to make sure that this is something that enhances the mobility for all our citizens. And, and that gets the big equity, I think, opportunity that we have with all these new technologies coming on board. I want to pull in a few strands here and, and starting with the contract side. So we've seen cities take a couple different approaches to their partnerships with these companies. One is a more iterative approach to pilot to try to learn and adjust as needed. And then the other probably more common approach is to imagine everything that could go wrong and try to build in and anticipate those restrictions. So have you seen one approach that works better or what are your thoughts on how local governments should be playing in that space? So here I'm gonna give my, my lawyer response. It, it depends. And I think that's a really good question and something that we've been working with a lot of our clients. And I think the ultimate answer is going to be it comes down to resources. So a lot of communities are going to, bigger cities, I should say, or, or bigger communities are going to have more money to invest in the resources to be more proactive and create these more robust contracts or policies and things like that. On the other hand, some of the smaller communities may not have the resources, but they still want to be proactive. And I think 
one, there's this opportunity for information sharing. That's why it's great to for communities to be involved with the local government commission, with their national league of cities, things like that. Cause there's this opportunity for information sharing to try and balance out some of those resource issues. But then going, going back to the contracting regime, it's also going to depend on your community's needs. And this is why, you know, I keep saying that word proactive, but to go out and think about what is our long-term vision around transportation, if it is to incorporate more technologies, then maybe it's worth putting budget towards making sure that you have what we're calling technology integration policies, that you're investing money in a more robust robust contracting regime. But I think there isn't going to be a perfect answer and you're going to need to develop contracts and policies that can adapt with the technology. And I think that's the biggest challenge with public contracting requirements and just the way, the traditional ways that we do contracting right now is that I'll be the first to admit, having worked in a majority of my career, that it can be rather antiquated and rigid. And that's why it's great to see new types of contracting regimes that kind of promote more collaborative contracting. I think you're seeing that with LA County Metro with their unsolicited proposal process where everything is within the confines of the public contracting code where they want transparency and they want to protect public dollars, but they're also saying, hey, private sector, we want to do something along this corridor and we want to reimagine how we can integrate new technologies to enhance mobility along this corridor. Give us a proposal. And for those who follow the news, I mean, the, the big one right now is the gondolas from Union Station in downtown LA up to Dodger Stadium. I mean, that's a great kind of creative project that came through the unsolicited proposal process that LA Metro's moving forward with. So I think kind of a long answer there, but I think it's going to kind of depend on what your community needs are, what your resources are, and how can you leverage and learn from other examples that are going on out there. And I think the biggest thing to remember too is when you move forward on a pilot project to learn from it, like you said in the question, and to understand that things aren't always going to go perfect, but how do you take those opportunities for learning from the pilot projects to do that version 2.0, version 3.0, and make sure that you don't forget the important follow-up part of any sort of pilot? Yeah, you alluded to the procurement process, and that has been a major challenge for local governments who may want to develop their own um, version of these innovations. So we've seen Sacramento Regional Transit do microtransit on demand in a, a number of communities in the region, and there's a growing interest in that space. But the rules are restricting. So some cities, like you said, have put out something that looks more like a request for innovation with specified goals rather than a specific product, but they still have to choose the cheapest provider once the bid comes in, and that can create a challenge for achieving their goals. So how do you advance in this space and and best navigate the procurement process and some of the restrictions around that? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. So a lot of us are used to working within this contracting regime where you have to select the lowest responsible bidder. And that was sometimes challenging because you worried that the person you were selecting as a part of a procurement didn't have the qualifications or experience to complete something and then complete it within budget. Now, it's great to see a lot of states, including California, allow for more of a best value type procurement. So you see that when you see potential projects under design build or construction manager, general contractor. These are new procurement regimes that essentially allow a public agency to select a contractor or a vendor 
uh, based on best value. And that means a combination of qualifications and experience and price, which is can be much more advantageous. And so right now, if you're operating within a particular state, just taking a more national approach on this, you don't see an opportunity to use a best value approach. Then that's something that you can lobby your legislature around um, and say, hey, we want to do a pilot project focused on the integration of a new low-speed automated shuttle, will you allow us to use a best value type procurement in order to move forward with that so that we make sure we have the most qualified contractor or vendor working with us and still being conscious of price as well? So it's nice that we're starting to get a little more flexibility in a contracting. Greg, you mentioned earlier some of the, the equity concerns and making sure that we don't have areas of our communities that are sort of mobility deserts. And I'm wondering how we balance that and if we should be thinking as communities about more of a portfolio approach versus the natural desire to sort of stack requirements on each of the individual modes. So thinking about every mode being accessible and providing access into every neighborhood and having the equity piece as well. I mean, scooters are a great example. There are a number of people in our communities, those aren't going to meet ADA needs. So are we thinking about it on an individual mobility platform, or should we be thinking about meeting the needs of our community as a portfolio of mobility options? So I think that's a that's a great question. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with, with your premise And I think what I've been struggling with, especially when it comes to technology, is I think it's really easy to say that technology can solve all our problems. And and you see that kind of tension being played out when you have private technology companies coming into communities and saying, gosh, you do things in such an antiquated, inefficient way. We can do it better. And I think there's a lot that public agencies can learn from private companies. But my biggest concern is that If a community starts making decisions, let's take, for example, on automated vehicles, banking on them coming to fruition and saying automated vehicles are going to solve all our problems, we don't have to invest in public transportation anymore. I think that's a really scary way to move forward, especially thinking about what if automated vehicles don't come to fruition. And kind of going back to our discussion around mobility as a service, this is especially scary thinking about the underserved community because a lot of where you're seeing some of the bus lines or some of the transit routes that are most expensive to operate are the ones to underserved areas that don't have that high ridership but arguably those citizens are the people that need that truly rely on public transportation and need transportation to get to their whether it be healthcare, whether it be to their jobs and their livelihood. So I think of a a portfolio approach, I I think it's important in thinking about we should try and advance as many transportation options as possible within our communities. And by doing that, hopefully then we address some of the equity issues, making sure that if people can afford automated vehicles and, and that is something that's an option within the urban environment, then great, they can take it. But the automated vehicles shouldn't operate any better than the public transportation lines. And so you would think about if if you relieve tension on the public transportation lines where using automated vehicles, then hopefully then allows more resources to go to some of the underserved communities. So I think we need to make sure we have transportation options and not make a decision thinking that one technology is going to solve all our problems, especially right now when we don't even know when and such technologies are going to come to fruition. 
I completely agree. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. You can hear more from Greg on his podcast. He's the co-host on the At Mobility podcast. I highly recommend checking that out. And he can be found on Twitter at Martyr Transpo. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.